RPR podcast with another awesome episode. And this one is going to be really interesting today. We've got three people that some of you have heard of before. About a year ago, we did a panel called Pivoting During the Pandemic with Nagin Kamali, who's the director of PR at Princess Cruises, Tim Shipton, Oilers Entertainment Group Executive Vice President, and Richard Bartram, VP of Communications, Brand and Community Investment at WestJet. The four of us had a chance to chat um, almost 18 months ago about what do you do at the onset of a pandemic and how do you pivot in the communications world? We're now 18 months post that, and I wanted to ask these three guests back to our Beyond PR podcast and essentially get an update. So first, welcome Nagin, Richard, and Tim. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Surviving? Great, Shauna. Awesome. Um, listen, let's just dive right into it. We had a panel back in March of 2021. We had a lot of interest in what your three organizations had to go through at the beginning of the pandemic. A lot has changed. Uh, we essentially are in a bit of a different world right now. It's looking a lot different. We had NHL playoffs. We had people back on cruise ships. We had um, people jumping on airplanes more than ever before. I'd love to get your first thoughts on the last 18 months and where you are today. Nagin, why don't you start? Sure. I think um, when we spoke last, we had not restarted operations yet. We started back in July of 2021 with literally an act of U.S. Congress. The Alaska delegation worked with President Biden in the United States um, to sign uh, a bypass of a old 1800 um, jo uh, Jones Act um, that unfortunately for those Canadians that are listening bypassed Canada um, so that we could actually sail to Alaska for that season in 2021 because that Jones Act um, was an old uh, maritime law that required us to stop in a foreign port. And at the time in 2021, Canada was not allowing cruise ships to enter uh, its waters. So the Alaska delegation was vying for its economy and um, asked President Biden to waive that that act. And we did that for that season. And we restarted operations with our first ship in July. And we're now back. Um, we have two more ships left for restart for our full fleet. So um, out of our 15 ships, 13 ships are back. We're sailing um, in Alaska right now, visiting Canadian waters in uh, Victoria and Vancouver. And we are sailing in Europe and in Mexico, and we are excited to be um, offering our great princess vacations to people all over the world. I remember getting a text from you saying, Shauna, what's with your government and not letting us <laughs> in your waters? But I understand that. So that bypass is really interesting for sure. Uh, Richard, of course, the, the ongoing news in the airline industry, were you, are you where you thought you would be 18 months after we last chatted? Oh, man, I, great question, but I have no idea if, you know, where we would have thought we would have been because things seem to be changing by the day. And, you know, everything from, you know, if you look at last summer, we would have been selling or last fall, we would have been selling tickets into this summer when fuel, jet fuel is, I don't know, above uh, 60, 70 cents a liter. Um, and of course, now those people are traveling when jet fuel is $1.60 or $1.50 a liter. So just when we thought, okay, this is actually going to start to get a little bit better, um, fuel pricing for us uh, spiked um, while people were coming back. And I, and I think the biggest challenge probably that we didn't foresee 
um, and it's not just simply relegated to the uh, to the airline industry. It's just such a tight labor market coming out of the pandemic, and and we saw that not only within the airline space, but even more so into uh, the ecosystem that supports the airline space. So if you're looking at the uh, cats and members, the security people who do security details at each of the uh, the airports across the country, or if you look at uh, Canadian Border Services processing people, so that for us was uh, was an absolute mess where people were waiting hours and missing connections simply because there weren't enough people around to do the work. And so we're still struggling with that right now. And it really does demonstrate that as much as you want to look at the airline as being uh, the big piece of what takes place, it requires the entire uh, orchestra, if you will, to play together on time and in harmony. And then, of course, my favorite team in the NHL, the Oilers. I remember when we chatted last, it was the bubble concept. And then I remember, Tim, the Oilers being one of the first teams to come out with that vaccine passport for everyone to come into the arena. And then this amazing high of the playoffs this season. So talk to me about that kind of emotional craziness that you went through from last year till now. Well, well, the first thing I'll tell Richard is that my last WestJet flight was on time, which uh, <laughs> is very much appreciated. You can put it in the wind column. There we go. <laughs> I love it. Exactly. Yeah, it's interesting just reflecting on, uh, you know, what's what's transpired since we're last together. So March of 21, we, we were concluding the uh, all-Canadian division season which was uh, transacted in front of uh, no fans, empty buildings. And then we transitioned to the off season, um, the 21, 22 season uh, optimism coming into the year about things getting back to normal. And, and uh, the big thing really that hit us was that the lasting impacts of the pandemic weren't over. Right. And so we faced um, 50% attendance, no food and beverage in our building, which really devastated the bottom line. Uh, created a bit of a hangover effect into the season. And so we were, you know, we were coming out of two years of of significant losses, very turbulent times. And uh, December 21 really was our darkest moment in the pandemic because all of that optimism about, okay, just work with the government, embrace these restrictions for the public good. Eventually, it'll be in a position where you can get get past it and, and get back to business. And it, and it kind of hit us in the gut, really set us back. And so uh, we got past it. Thank goodness. We had some very difficult conversations as a management group, um, bleeding red ink as an organization about, okay, are we going to have to bring in contingency planning yet again after having to go through, uh, you know, all the really challenging conversations with our staff and and customers and so thankfully we did we did stick with it and and things turned fairly quickly and and uh, really the the playoff run that the oilers uh, went through this past season just came really like a blessing from the sky at a time when the organization needed really i think when the public needed it you know something to to really latch on to bring people together once again and uh, and have something positive to look forward to in the backdrop of, of such bad news so a real roller coaster, Shauna, but uh, I mean, thankfully we got through it. So if you could say one thing to yourself back in March 2021, knowing what you know now, what would you say? What advice would you give yourself? Go ahead, Nikki. No, I was going to say just uh, hang tight and do continue to do what you're you're doing best. And, uh, you know, you'll, you'll make it through. 
What were you going to stockpile, Tim? Well, I was going to say stockpile more red wine because uh, <laughs> that's one of the things that got me through the pandemic. But no, I think I think to Nagin's point, uh, really some of those moments of resilience and, you know, you can say you're going to stick to a plan and you can say that you're, you, you are a resilient organization, but uh, the pandemic and de definitely the, the back half of the pandemic where we're all we're dealing with just less capacity through challenges to the bottom line, right? The viability of the business. So to be able to stick with it, stick with your employees, make that commitment, that's what got us through. Would have been easy to, you know, I could see a different path and I'm sure glad that we didn't go down that path, that we did stick with it and thankfully, you know, got through the worst of it. I think I would have liked to have uh, told myself that it is going to be a, a, a marathon. And as much as, you know, I remember looking back at notes that I took that first spring and jotting down notes in terms of what our plans were for September. I, who would have thought that we would have been asking, okay, but September of which year? Because by the time September of 20 rolled around, we were still in the thick of it. So I think it would have been to uh, say, you know what, uh, take the time. And the other piece would have been rest up physically and mentally, because that I think was probably the biggest toll that it took on our people was to recognize that as convenient as working from home is, it's going to have a material impact on on people's engagement with others in the in the organization. And, you know, you look at people who may be single living alone and don't actually in, in where they go to engage or interact with people uh, is at the office and all of that was taken away. So I think it would have been that it's uh, to treat it as that marathon and as if as you are putting your body through something like that over a longer period of time, it's going to have to, uh, you're going to have to take the rests and the breaks to, to make it through. So before we talk about, you know, some good news and, and what's happening now with each of your organizations, I'd love to hear, like, obviously things are going back to business as usual. And I, I say air quotes when I say that, but you know, we have to also look at learnings from the past. So is there anything that your organizations are doing differently now based on what we've learned over the last 24 months? Yes, yeah, I'll jump in there, Shauna. And I think certainly from our perspective, what we did learn uh, early on, and it's been part of the brand anyway, um, but it was to be as forthright as you can from a communications perspective. Um, and that has served us well and continues to serve well, serve us well today. So even as you get into the first few months and it was uncertain in terms of the transmissibility and people wanted to know who was sitting in what row and was there an affected person or infected person on my flight. And so we decided, I believe we were the only airline in Canada, one of the few around the world that was posting every single flight to the website to say that on this particular flight, there would have been this many individuals. And so we've used that going forward so that people can understand um, the uh, uh, what's going on with their flights in terms of on-time performance, in terms of missed bag ratio. Because if you look at the um, the media, you would you would think that uh, every second bag is somehow going astray. And the reality is our missed bag ratio, and that is not the bag was lost; it just didn't get on your flight. But our missed bag ratio is sitting at about eleven per thousand right now. So flipped around, that's nine hundred and eighty-nine of uh, of every thousand bags is actually getting on the flight with you. And yet, to read the to read the the news, you wouldn't uh, expect that to be the to the the case. So we are being as forthright as we can from a communications perspective, and just letting the letting the facts uh, speak for themselves. We are now number three for on-time performance in North America, but everybody is still holding on to those stories of well, it's an absolute misery to travel right now, and a lot of that has largely moved through. And so we want to be reminding people of that, and they can go look on our website at any time to get the most up-to-date information. You've always been very transparent though i think i saw a linkedin post today about your operational performance and just always being open with that so that hasn't 
technically changed. That has changed in that how we were forthright in terms of what we were communicating as it relates to uh, to the pandemic, and this is now pieces that have been added since then. So that uh, that has been something that has been true to the brand. So not a surprise that we did do it, but it's uh, it's something that has served as well. Got it, Nagin. What about Princess? What's interesting about the cruise industry and you know Princess's uh, Princess's part of that is that um, world events and crisis has is always part, we've reacted to it, and because we have movable assets we're able to change course, if you will. And so, you know, we've not, I think we all also had the, we talked about oil prices earlier. So not only were we dealing with the pandemic, but be, those oil prices were related to a war, right? That war was another a world event that was another issue that happened in the middle of the pandemic that all of us had to deal with, whether it related to economics or for us, it had to deal with um, itineraries. We have Baltic sailings that uh, sail into um, parts of Russia. So we had to change those itineraries and move those ships into other parts of the world. So that's always been a part of the dynamic, the dynamics of our industry. And, um, you know, that, that continues to always be something that our executive team and our commercial team um, deal with. But, you know, we are, we, I think the constant change is what we are continually going to be used to and, and we'll, we'll be used to moving forward is that, that, that changes, change and uncertainty is part of the norm. Tim. Yeah, I would, I would, uh, reiterate Nagin's comments that I think um, certainly our organization, I think um, high performing organizations actually got better through the pandemic. Um, the ability to deal with a crisis and change in the business, what we, what we maybe thought were challenging times or crisis uh, pre-pandemic, you know, really paled in comparison to what we had to go through and, and again, making tough business decisions and, and really sticking together at a team. So I really think that getting through it, we're a stronger organization. It, it certainly has required all of us to, to prioritize where you place value as an organization, where you're going to invest in areas that you're, you're going to you know, choose to by virtue of not having the same capacity as you did pre pandemic, uh, you know, exit business. And so I just, I look at uh, where we're at today. We use the pandemic to, I think, get stronger as a as a management team. Maybe be forced in some cases, but really willingly collaborate more deeply, collaborate more deeply with different units uh, within the organization that maybe didn't have sort of uh, historical uh, opportunities to do that. You're just forced to to do that. And then the staff, I would say that the team that uh, we uh, worked with and got us through the pandemic really has created, I would say, an, a, an updated and uh, amended culture as an organization. And you, you sure know who you can rely on, the people that will be there day in, day out, consistency, reliability, who can deal with uh, changing expectations. And so, I mean, uh, would I want to go through it again? No, but are, are we a stronger organization for it? Uh, we sure are. So. So thinking through, we going through the pandemic, we get the screen light that full capacity can come back. I'd like to hear, I think first from you, Tim, the first game, home game, where you had access to full capacity. Walk me through that and how emotional or how interesting or how crazy that was for you. 
yeah, for us, it was a, it was a unique set of circumstances because uh, although we had a we had a, a great season on the ice, uh, making it to the conference finals, uh, you know, there were some bumps along the way. We talked about uh, some of the the pandemic restrictions. We uh, we had a coaching change, of course, mid season. So you really saw the uh, the group on the ice as well come together as a team. You know, we have you know very talented. Uh, young superstars, but I think through the experiences that they had during the pandemic, you saw maturity really set in this season and uh, the understanding of what it takes to, uh, to actually win in the National Hockey League. So when we finally came out of the attendance restrictions, it was at a time when the team was starting to, to peak as well. And little did we know we were still competing for a playoff spot. There was moments deep into the season that we were we were on the outside looking in and just as that momentum started to build, you could just, you could really tell that our fans were savoring every moment and not taking for granted some of those small things about being able to come together and, and have those shared moments, those emotional moments. And, and again, it culminated, of course, in the playoffs. We had the big uh, battle of Alberta, the first in, uh, in 30 years. And, and, uh, just what we saw was there was so much pent up demand, as I said, to come back together and people really responded in a positive way. We didn't know again, if people would behave after being kind of cooped up in their basements for so long, but the end of the day, and it was, it was just such an incredible run. I'm still waiting for these McDavid and dry saddle highlights. You can show them at any time. <laughs> There's too many to count. There's too Jeff. many to count, exactly. There's too many. Richard and Nagin, I can't imagine uh, how busy it must have been when travel began to open up much more broadly. Can you speak to your experience, each of you, on like full capacity cruises, planes just taking off one after the other? I'd love to hear your experience. Um, so every ship that restarted was a celebration and we used it as an, as an opportunity to um, really celebrate the guests that were coming on board and each of our teammates um, that were coming back to work. So we had ribbon cutting ceremonies that really celebrated each of those ships that came back. And it was really an emotional a moment for, you know, all of these teammates that were you know, out of work for so long that were able to serve the guests that really like were excited to be back to be able to serve those guests that were on board those ships. And um, that happened with each and every ship that came back. I mean, like for many, uh, many of um, these industries and the passion that everybody has for flying and for sports there's passion within crews we had in Australia, which reopened, you know, less than two months ago, we had a couple who had booked 56 back to back cruises, they are sailing for the next two years. Um, you know, so like they're the people are like passionate about cruising and they missed it and they are they wanted to be back. And you saw that in, you know, people that came, were, were, were back on board. And that's what we were excited to see as well. Don't you have a term for them? Are they what are they called? Uh, no, just just group, passionate cruisers. Oh, I thought there was some kind of term that you called them because I really wanted to ask with cruise ships being again more isolated, more confined, were you going to have that demand and that interest? And it sounds like you are. There is. There, you know, I mean, traditionally, 50% of cruisers are repeat cruisers. So that's where the bulk of our um, guests come from. And so they were, they came back and they wanted to come back on board and they missed that experience. 
Awesome. What about you, Richard? Yeah, it was exciting to see everybody want to get back and, and traveling. Um, and you saw that in, you know, we had a, we had originally uh, announced that we would have been flying, for example, from Calgary uh, to Rome, Italy nonstop. Um, and we would have announced it and started selling those seats for um, summer of 2020 and uh, ended up never flying that particular route. So that did come back this summer. So to see just how excited people were to see that route finally come back, and it's been tremendously convenient for everybody in Western Canada and, in fact, the Western U.S. to be able to connect through Calgary. So those flights all summer were uh, chock-a-block full. And the same thing with uh, with uh, the majority of our flights to Europe. It was difficult to, uh, to get a seat. Um, the challenge for us is still, though, um, we remain one of only a handful of countries in the world where you are required to wear a mask uh, on board the aircraft. And so even if you are on an American carrier flying, let's say, Houston to Calgary, um, you don't need to wear a mask. But if you are on WestJet flying from Houston to Calgary, you're required to wear a mask. And each one of these little pieces that are however you want to define it, but it is some measure of a restriction uh, impedes in some fashion the demand for uh, for air travel. And so uh, to be one of the only ones that have that in place is still quite frustrating. And now we see, for example, I flew today from Calgary to Toronto. Um, Calgary on the ground side of the airport um, does not have a mask requirement, but Toronto does. And so um, people are tremendously confused and they're super excited to travel again into that joy of connection. And that's what we are in the business of. And so that has been, I think, tremendously meaningful for people to, to be able to reconnect all our guests once again. But um, just with some of the, the, the labor challenges we've been faced with, faced with where planes have been stuck on the ground for hours or bags aren't getting through or customs uh, halls are all jammed. Um, all of those pieces have people thinking, well, maybe not this year. And so the faster we can remove those remaining impediments and get people moving again, the, the better off we're all going to be, I think. And I think that kind of brings me to my next question, because, you know, in all of this, and Tim, you mentioned it as well, you've got employees coming back at the onset, a lot of, you know, weakening of morale with them coming back to full capacity. Do you see that lift in employee spirit with employee morale, maybe on the airline side with the media kind of really dragging that industry through the mud a little bit, perhaps having to reiterate to your team, Richard, that things are going to be okay? Or are you feeling that really good spirit right now anyways? Are people happy to be back or was it really quick and now it's back to normal, if you will? Well, it's, it, I think what's interesting for us is you look at the men and women who were working for us uh, right through um, and, you know, you could almost uh, uh, be forgiven for thinking they might be wearing a, a cape under that uniform because through the thick of it, they were there where there was a lot of uncertainty and, and uh, a lack of understanding about the virus itself. And then as people started to travel more and now you're surrounded by people, they were there through the thick and thin. And so they are, I think, very excited to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And then we did have um, a fair number of our employees who had been laid off for a period of time, tremendously passionate about the industry. And so to see them come back and to start to fly once again, you could really see that that mood swing. Uh, but again, the challenge for us now is that ecosystem. You know, I'll give you a quick stat just by way of example, where um, flying into Toronto, every once in a while, the customs hall is going to get full such that uh, the airline may ask you to wait on the plane for a period of time until you can actually start to stream some people out. Shauna, that happened to, uh, to you. That happened in the month of April of last year in Toronto nine times, where we would have had nine flights that would have been stuck. April of this year, it was 1,260. Um, so when you see those, 
levels of uh, frustration. So hundreds upon hundreds of people a day missing connections. And I get it. They're tremendously frustrated. And so this is, you know, you're asking the government to say, can you not bring on more people? Can you get more people doing security? Can you get more people doing borders? So the analogy I always think of is, you know, you go back to those old movies where there's a giant printing press for a newspaper. When the when the printing press is working, it is humming along and it's a big, loud machine and everything works brilliantly. But if something goes wrong with that and you're now trying to bring it back online, it kind of sputters and takes a while before it gets up to its full uh, hum once again. And I think that's where we are in the airline industry is you can see the pieces lurching back to life. The demand is there. The parts are all there. And now we're just trying to get it to run smoothly again. I get it. What about you, Tim? Staff excited to be back? You know, I, I would tell you this, Shauna, that we've spent uh, more time on our on our people plan than than any other aspect uh, of the organization through the pandemic. And uh, I mean, an incredibly emotional time to Richard's point that we've got very passionate uh, team members been with the organization a long time. Love nothing better than uh, than serving our fans and creating those uh, those memories and and uh, you know having to have those difficult conversations about you know laying off people for a period of time was was really challenging on everyone. So we took the approach of um, we're all in it together and and everybody from the top down uh, chipped in. To, to keep the team uh, intact as much as possible. But that being said, we went um, a year and a half without being allowed to have fans in our building and patrons in our district. And so you, you balance that out with the, with the business realities. So um, as we you know, finally got through it and started to get some momentum and uh, some optimism, um, you know, the pride that our team had coming back and again, being a part of the Oilers run, our junior team, the Oil Kings went to the Memorial Cup. We brought back uh, concerts and, and live entertainment. Uh, you know, it just shows you that we're in the people business and really that's what got us through this pandemic. And so um, we are, we spend a lot of time on that, rightly so, and we succeed and fail as a business based on how we treat our people. I would imagine similar, Nagin, but maybe just give me some highlights. Yeah, I mean, you know, we have two sets of, which I think we touched upon on, on the last panel, two different sets of employees, right? We have the employees on board our ships, are, um, which who are thrilled to be back. And, you know, we have also the need for more um, more teammates on board um, from, from a staffing perspective. And then we have our shoreside employees in um, on the West Coast, we are actually still all remote, um, which about 75% of our employees in California, um, we have offices in Seattle and Los Angeles area, have requested to continue to work remote and it's been working really, really well. I actually get to go on board our ships in, in the port of Los Angeles more frequently than I have been, which is actually, I think, of more of a benefit. Um, and then we have offices in Fort Lauderdale where our new uh, president resides, um, and they are more frequently in that office in Florida. So I think that there's, you know, an evolution of, um, how people are, uh, engaging across, uh, the country and within uh, the world in our different offices. And we are, um, attuned to what, uh, each, each region needs and which each, and for us, it's whether it's shoreside or on board our ships. That makes a lot of sense. 
So we've talked a lot about the pandemic. What I'm really also interested in hearing about is what are you all interested and excited about for the fall? We're going to get seasons are back. Winters are getting cold up here in Canada, Nagin. People are going to want to go cruising or flying somewhere warm. What's really getting you excited about the fall in each of your roles? Well, it's about 100 degrees here in Los Angeles. So if you're getting cold there, it's like a huge heat wave here. Um, but uh, I, I will say there's, there's two hugely exciting things happening within Princess. We're about to, we're about to announce um, the name and the itineraries of our next gen ship here in the next um, in the next week, which is going to be um, and which is launching in 2024. So we're super excited about that announcement and all that comes with a new ship that's going to be on the waters in 2024. And then um, in the United States and in Australia, and then streaming on Paramount Plus starting on October 5th. We actually have a reality adventure dating show called The Real Love Boat that, um, no. yeah, that was filmed on Regal Princess um, <laughs> in Europe this uh, past summer. For those that might remember um, the original Love Boat that was um, filmed on our ships, um, it's, it's coming back on TV, but in a new, in a new way. Um, and we are... I think I think all of us are old enough to remember that, but I, I have to interrupt you. I didn't know that the original was filmed on. Yeah, your it was filmed on Pacific Princess. Um, that's we were the ocean-going co-stars of that of that show, and uh, we were the ones that made cruising popular. And um, we're hoping that this new show also gets people excited about cruising again. So, if you Canadians that are listening have a Paramount Plus. Uh, I want to catch those episodes. It starts October 5, in between uh, Survivor and Amazing Race. I love it. I love it. I just have the song of the love boat in my head now, just so you know. <laughs> go ahead. Love boat. There you go. I'm trying to figure out if I, who sang that originally. I don't know who that would have been. Jack Johnson. Yes. All right. Yeah, so for for Westjet, there's a, there is very much a spring in in our step because uh, there's a there's a lot going on. Uh, we have a new CEO who would have started at the beginning of the year, um, and as he said to the board at the time, "Give me a hundred days to kind of get uh, get square with uh, what I see as the opportunity." And so through that hundred day plan, which we uh, announced to our people and then publicly back in June. Um, uh, a revisit to our strategy and how we want to show up and how we want to compete. And so that I, uh, I see the early stages has uh, our West are certainly excited um, as we start to uh, refocus our efforts into uh, almost uh, uh, going back old school to that leisure airline um, and that low cost airline that we had been to so a renewed effort to be that with, of course, the modern twist. Given we have wide body aircraft flying um, internationally. So that's very exciting for us. Uh, we have uh, the acquisition that we're working through right now of uh, Sunway um, so that we will actually even have uh, even more leisure destinations available to us. So that work um, continues uh, diligently. So there's a lot of pieces that speak to no longer speak to how are we going to restrict this or how do we have to stop doing those pieces? All those all those elements that came with the pandemic of our, here are all the things we can't do. We've moved um, through this summer into here's all the things we can do and all the pieces that are coming up that are going to make us a, a stronger and better airline for our people and for our for our guests. And then for me, um, 
I'm excited because I'm retiring at the end of the month. So that's uh, an exciting one for me. So that after uh, after 17 years at WestJet, it's time for uh, some others to have some some fun with the brand. And so I'm certainly looking forward to that. But it's been a uh, it's been just a an absolute privilege to to do the work that I have done for 17 years. And uh, I'm looking forward to putting my feet up and seeing what uh, what the uh, the rest of them are going to come up with. Richard, I don't know if I can see you putting your feet up anytime, anywhere, anyhow, but I wish you well. For a couple minutes anyway, and then thank you. But it's <laughs> but I, I really am. And, uh, you know, you look at this, the, the new CEO and the strategy that's been put in place, it really is uh, an exciting time for WestJet and, and for our guests who are looking or have loved us for being that, that leisure low-cost airline that's coming back uh, in, uh, that's coming back big time. Awesome. Tim. Well, well, Richard, you're gonna have to come to an Oilers game and then go on a cruise. You got you got some time on your hands. So. I've got the time. Well, and I was at that last Edmonton Calgary Battle of Alberta game in Calgary, and my wife had her Connor McDavid jersey on, and she uh, she got to stand up and cheer a few more times than the rest of us. And so that was it was a wonderful moment. But to your point, it was to have those connections and to have the fans just the passionate fans back was regardless of who was winning, it was great. Well, my thank you to your wife. She's uh, sounds like a fantastic fantastic gal. So. She's fantastic <laughs> for sure. Yes. Um, Tim, what about you? You know, it's it's interesting. Again, we, we've talked a lot about hockey and that's obviously our flagship asset and, and brand. And uh, we're, we're pretty excited on that front. But, you know, our, our organization, the DNA of our organization is, you know, entrepreneurship and growth and development. Shauna, you know that you, you, you've helped us uh, along the way. And uh, the pandemic was really hard because it, it went against all of our our DNA to just kind of stand pat and hold still and retrench. So I think we're excited about, you know, continuing to grow the business. We've got the convergence of a lot of great things happening uh, with the team. Our ice district is that vision, uh, you know, 10 years in the making has come to fruition. We certainly saw it in the playoffs with tens of thousands of people coming into the plaza. Uh, we've got more tenants, of course, coming into the district really to round out phase one. We've got uh, development permits approved uh, by the city of Edmonton for phase two, which is uh, the village at Ice District, which will be um, some 3,000 residential units centered on uh, on urban living. And so we're going to be able to extend that vision that we've talked about for a long time. At the same time, we use the pandemic really to build synergies across all of our divisions at OEG. And so um, we have a retail cannabis division uh, based out of Ontario with the Tokyo Smoke brand. They're in a rapid growth and acquisition phase right now. I'm very excited to see uh, um, some of the things that uh, uh, we've got on our plate on that front. We've got a hospitality business with restaurants across the country. Again, in another industry like the ones represented on this call that was absolutely pounded by the pandemic. And got through it. So it's, uh, you know, again, to be thinking about growth and opportunity and those next chapters uh, is really exciting. Now I'm going to ask this question, Tim, but um, tell me if I'm going to have to edit it out. So were you as nervous as I was that I was wondering if Evander Kane was coming back this fall or were you quite <laughs> confident? <laughs> oh, it's a good question. Um, you know, uh, Evander, uh, his time in Edmonton was, uh, was remarkable. Uh, you know, Evander went through uh, went through a lot uh, in his career and was really looking for a place that he could play hockey and a place that would would welcome him. And uh, boy, he fit the bill in our market. And so we're confident that we would get him uh, 
re-signed, there was a lot of teams that were looking at him. But I think from his perspective, he's got a, a, another young daughter. Uh, he's got great stability in his life. Uh, Edmonton is just a, a fantastic fit, and we're, we're delighted to have him. That was a great good news story uh, over the season. Yeah, it sure was. I love that. I love that. So just to wrap up, I think one of the last questions I'd love to ask all three of you is, you know, looking back over the last 24 months, you know, you each likely took away experiences working in all of these dynamic industries, communications teams that you work with. And if there's one thing that you would take away from the last 24 months, what would that be? Well, yeah, I'll, I'll jump in just, I think a, a short answer. Um, this may be more a macro view, um, but the, the, the world that we operate in right now is incredibly uh, polarized and, and volatile. It's like I've never seen it before that um, there's just so much uh, division, it seems, uh, in society right now. And so, so companies operating in this environment, we're all um, challenged by some of these new lenses and this new polarization. And so we have to deal, deal with things differently. Um, I think the expectations on uh, companies to to walk the talk as it relates to things like um, diversity and inclusion and, and being a you know a force of good, not just uh, delivering on either quarterly results or or uh, you know bottom line numbers. So the world that we operate in is more and more complex with more polarization, and so I just look at the communications team that I work with and. The products that they, that they have to put out and the scrutiny that they are under every single day, we are literally in a world where um, one mistake on a on a on a press release or a campaign can not just you know sink an, an individual person; it can sink an entire company. So I think the pressure that communications professionals work under nowadays is is uh, as high as it's ever been. But then the value as well to me is as high as it's ever been because the need to be able to tell a really articulate story that people can buy into and have trust is all important nowadays. And so I think that's probably been the big thing that although there is, uh, again, those challenges that certainly seen uh, my team and, and many other teams rise to the occasion. Really good point. Nikki. I think that um, some, a lot of the success of traversing the crisis had to do with weaving the, org the various organizational departments and working together as like a unified team. And there, it was not one person that stood out as the sole um, succeeder of um, that the, the succeeder of the organization. Like whether it was our medical team or our hotel operations or communications or marketing, like we all work together as one, and that really was what um, took us through that difficult time. And if, if you can, if you can take that operating principle and use it in the work you do moving forward, I think you can really drive a really successful organization. I appreciate that. Richard. Yeah. And I, as, well, and as Tim said, right, it's, it's the, the world has become quite divisive. And I think the, 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 the piece to take away is just be nice. Um, and that's been one of the biggest challenges going through this is to see the entire planet stress test at the same time to the degree that it was. And, and you saw it show up where people were incredibly frustrated with missing events in their in their lives and the sort of things that they just naturally were able to, to do and to be able to come and go as they please. And to have that taken away really ramped up frustration with people. And so um, we just, 
you know, nobody shows up at work to suck at what they do. And so I think that's a uh, that's a it's a good reminder for everybody that, you know, whoever you happen to be dealing with is is, uh, you know, I, I, I often speak in analogies, apparently, but I go back to Apollo 13. Right. Somebody has just dumped onto the desk. Here are all the pieces that you have to solve a particular problem. And the people are doing the best with what's been dumped on the table in front of them. And so, you know, a, a number of experiences, they, you know, you're in a restaurant, that kitchen may not have all the staff that they were expected to have, or they don't have all the products that they expected to have. So uh, I think it would be good for us to just have a measure of patience, uh, patience and be kinder. And uh, um, as we, as we get our way out the tail end of this, hopefully, I think that'll, that'll uh, hold us in good stead. Thank you, Richard. Well, listen, I appreciate all of your time. I think one of the last questions I have for Richard is if you're retiring and you've been in the tourism industry for so long, where, what is on your bucket list and where do you want to go? Every, well, everywhere. I mean, and that's one of the lovely things about working for an airline is that uh, if you've uh, if you're lucky enough to have been there for a period of time, you get to keep going with your flight benefit benefits and retirement. So uh, it's a bit of a blank page for me. And I'm still going to I'll do some volunteering and some consulting. I'm on the board of uh, uh, Tourism Calgary. And so I, I turn my attention. That's one of the things that I'm really excited about is how do you now start to get people to recognize that, you know, the world is your your oyster once again, as uh, as markets and routes start to open up and getting more people to uh, uh, to, to to come visit us, and so that's uh, I think an exciting piece for me. But uh, I don't have any. Uh, there's no bucket list per se. I just uh, uh, I almost just want to take a, a a dart and uh, and a map and uh, throw it and see what happens. Well, there are cruises that you can certainly look at. You know, just saying. Yeah, you had a friend. You had a friend. Well, you know, and it's. And I feel for Nagin because that was the exact same question I just asked her that we get asked all the time, you know, so we have now we're coming out of this pandemic uh, bloodied and bruised. And the first thing everybody asks is, are there any seat sales available? Um, <laughs> it's the, and I fell into it right there at the beginning of this. So my apologies. I, I can go and, no. retail and uh, see if I can't help move this forward. <laughs> I appreciate it. I really do. Thank you guys so much for your time. I did promise Nagin I would ask this last question because she's like, can you just ask us a fun question? So the question is, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Go ahead, Nagin. Um, mine's coffee chip. <laughs> coffee chip. Nice. Richard. It, it, if it's a really good ice cream, it's vanilla all the way. It's got to be vanilla. Okay. And Shipton. Well, my children would say bubble gum, but I, I, I find that kind of revolting. But I mean, <laughs> young kids like sugar. So. What's the best ice cream shop in Calgary? Oh, there's a few. Village, I would say. Hey, Richard? I throw out a Mato Gelato, too. Okay. Um, there's a place yeah. in Edmonton called Paw Peterson's. It's been around for like 50 years, and it's got the best like rum raisin or tiger tail or oh now we're talking oh my gosh now that tiger is, tail. that is living i love it i love it well listen i appreciate your time everyone um thank you so much for joining and who knows maybe we'll be on a cruise together someday we'll welcome you all on, bo on board thanks so much to our awesome guest today thanks to our listeners and don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts